That's awesome, huh? Amen. Amen. <clears throat> I had sent Jen an email and I said, hey, we're going to be finishing up Revelation this Sunday, so if you could find some appropriate songs, and she sent back a great response. She goes, I'll pick out some end timesy songs, and she end timesy, so that was awesome, so yeah, something like that, that was great, so thank you, Jen, and, and worship team, that's just uh, awesome. Well, uh, these flowers up here were uh, from the memorial service that we had for Chuck Bassett uh, yesterday. For those of you who were here, you know, it was a Tremendous testimony of Chuck's life, his love of the Lord, and uh, it reminded me of something and some conversations that I'd had with Chuck, especially recently. You know, Chuck, we all knew, had an amazing smile, a pleasant disposition. He was a man who was just a gentle soul, I guess I would refer to him as. What was interesting is, is that the testimony of his life wasn't just to simply be a nice guy, and have a nice smile. When I would speak to Chuck and Betty over the last several months, whether it was here at church or when we went and visited him in the hospital, the amazing thing was that Chuck never complained about his physical condition. And he never actually said, oh, well, this is what's going on. This is what the doctors say. When we talked to Chuck, he would share what an incredible opportunity he had to give a Bible to a nurse or to a staff person at the hospital, how they were able to pray with roommates and with people that came in and joined them in the hospital. In fact, when Frank and I visited them in the hospital, they shared how some folks from the Gideons had come and prayed with Chuck and Betty, and when they were done, the roommate said, looked over, And Betty looked over and said, would you like us to pray with you as well? And he said, yes. And so they gave him a Bible and they prayed with him. And several hours later, that man passed away. I was thinking about that as we finish up Revelation. Because that is a man whose heart for Jesus turned into action. Sharing Jesus Christ. In an amazing way. Lord, I just thank you. I thank you for the testimony of Chuck's life and the opportunity that we had as a church to celebrate that yesterday. And Father, I thank you that we have the opportunity this morning to dig deep into your word. Father, I thank you that we have been brought through this study in Revelation. But Father, it is not a study in Revelation, it is a study of you. Father, I just ask that every heart just be open to hearing what you have this morning. And Father, I just ask that I am made so small as to not even exist. Holy Spirit, we need you this morning. I need you this morning. And so I ask that you would fill me afresh from the soles of my feet to the crown of my head. For Father, we need the life-giving words that can only come from you. Father, I just thank you for every person who is here this morning. There are no mistakes. You drew everybody here for your purpose. And so I ask for soft hearts. I ask, Lord, that ears would hear what you have to say. And we know that your word does not return void. So, Father, we trust you in that. 
We give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Skip, can you play the video? No one knows exactly when Christ will return, but it could happen at any time, and every second brings us closer to it. That's why it's important for Christians to live every day as though it's our last day on earth. This is what I have done every day for the last three months. Wake up early, eat ice cream for breakfast, skip work, because who wants to work on their last day on earth? Tell my landlord that I don't have the rent, but it doesn't matter because Jesus is coming today. Call all my non-Christian friends and tell them each goodbye and tell them to send me a postcard from hell. Get dressed up in my nicest suit and climb up on the roof with a big sign that says, Welcome, Jesus, and wait for the special moment to come. I do this every day, and even though my landlord is suing me, I've lost my job, and my non-Christian friends block my calls, I truly live every day as though it's my last. These have been Deep Thoughts from a Shallow Christian. (laughs) All right, have a great day. We can go home now. (laughs) I, I was, I just... That's hysterical. Um, to some extent, some of us think that would, be, uh, that would be true, and that's certainly not what we believe here. You know, the title of this message this morning is, Come, Lord Jesus. And it's with these three simple words that our time in the book of Revelation comes to an end. See, come, Lord Jesus. Not only does <clears throat> Revelation wrap up in this way, but I believe that the entirety of the Bible is wrapped up in these three simple words, come, Lord Jesus. But it does beg the question, do you really want him to come? Do I really want him to come? And why? My beautiful wife, Tracy, is a nurse practitioner. And Skip, if you can put up that picture. Oh, that's nice. When we met... I was a paramedic, and Tracy was an ER nurse. It seemed like whenever anyone we knew, especially my family, even got a hangnail, it was, Jeff, what do we do about this? And Tracy, can you help me out with that? We couldn't stop by the house without simply them looking at us and saying, hey, can you take a look at this? Honestly, part of me felt good that I was needed. I could contribute. But a larger part, and one that grew even larger as the years went on, was feeling like I was valued for only what I could provide or how I could help. I imagine the brother-in-law who's the electrician who seems to be invited over for pizza when that pesky outlet just seems to quit. Or the uh, sister who's the IT specialist who always gets called on speed dial when the internet goes down. So do we want Jesus to come like my family wanted me to come over and help them out? Let's look again at Revelation 22.20. Come, Lord Jesus. So let's read that together. Come, Savior Jesus. Well, it doesn't say that. It doesn't say, come, Savior Jesus. It doesn't say, come, helper Jesus. It doesn't say, come, giver Jesus, blesser Jesus, healer Jesus, redeemer Jesus, or brother Jesus. It doesn't at all. It says, come, 
Lord Jesus. So together, let's say that. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. So the question again is, do we want him to come? But do we want him to come to be our Lord? See, I ask this question of myself. Is he my Lord now? In Matthew 25, the parable of the talents, see if you can put that picture up. We all know about the parable of the talents where the master who's going on a long journey entrusts his servants with his possessions and to one he gives five, to another he gives two, and yet to a third he gives one. We know that the one with five puts it to good use and earns five more and same for the one who has two. And yet the one who only has one buried it as he was afraid of his master. And he had only returned to his master that one coin when he came back. Now, Frank will be getting into this parable more in depth next week. What you need to see here, though, is that the man who is Jesus went on a long journey. He entrusted his property to his servants. And I think it's important to note here that they were, in fact, his servants. They referred to him as master, as Lord. Upon Jesus' return, they were judged by Christ as to how they managed what Christ had given them. They were judged by how obedient they were to his commands when he wasn't there. Jesus was with them. He went away and he returned and he judged them as to what they did while he was gone. This is the right of the master. He has the right to expect of his servants to follow his commands. They needed to be obedient even when he wasn't with them. So once again, I ask myself and I ask you, do we really want him to come? Since we began this series in September, I've been uh, discussing Revelation with my family. Skip, you can put up that picture. Sydney and Noah, yeah, Sydney, it's my opportunity to embarrass you. Sydney and Noah are in youth group, and the youth group has been pretty much tracking with us following Revelation, and so the discussions around the dinner table are always interesting and fun, and we have the opportunity to uh, discuss many things. And so I've asked my children over the course of this time about the return of Jesus and whether they wanted Jesus to return. And the answers I've got were sometimes fun, sometimes interesting, sometimes engaging, and we get everything from not yet, I'm too young, please come, I have a lot of homework to do and I don't want to do that. But I think it was Chloe who said, that she wasn't sure because she was worried about what will happen before he comes. I think it's a very valid statement. Do we recognize what must precede Jesus' return? Now, I understand in that that those who believe in the pre-tribulation rapture would like to say that, Jesus, come and save me from the pain and persecution. Release me from the destruction and death and shield me from the tears and the tears. But as much as we'd like that to be, the Bible doesn't tell us this. It tells us that before Jesus returns, pain will come. Like the pangs of pain before childbirth, pain will come. 
So we're called to prepare for Jesus' return. Now, I like steak. Like, I really like steak. Skip, you can pick up that picture. There you go. That's a good steak, right? My kids like steak. They call it juicy meat. Um, And uh, so when Tracy says to me, would you like steak for dinner? My answer is, yes, I'd like steak for dinner. But that's not really the question, is it? Right? Because the question is, is, are you prepared to do all that's necessary in order for you to eat steak for dinner? Are you ready to go to the store, or more appropriately for us, remember to pull a steak out of the freezer in time for it to thaw? Are we ready to go to the grocery store and pick out the vegetables and come home, clean out the sink, and then prepare all the vegetables and the steak, put the appropriate spices and everything together, pull out the grill baskets, go out to the grill, turn it on, preheat it, clean it, then put everything on the grill and hope that nothing burns. But we're only halfway there because then you have to bring it in, slice the meat, put all of everything together, clear the ta- dining room table. Then it needs to be set. Then we get to sit down and we get to enjoy a steak dinner. And yet we're still not finished because we then have to clean up and remember to turn off the grill, which sometimes I don't. So the question is, are we truly prepared to do all that's necessary in order to have that steak dinner? It's probably why steak is on just about every restaurant menu in the country, because that's the easy way to have a steak dinner. The Apostle Paul talks a lot about preparation for the return of Christ. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul addresses how we as followers of Christ are to view the return of Christ. So in 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 8, Skip, you can put it up. Now concerning how and when all these things will happen, dear brothers and sisters, we don't really need to write you. For you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. When people are saying everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall on them as suddenly as a pageant pregnant woman's labor pains begin, and there will be no escape. But you aren't in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters, and you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief. For you are all children of the light and of the day. We don't belong to darkness and night, so be on your guard, not asleep like the others. Stay alert and be clear-headed. Night is the time when people sleep and drinkers get drunk. But let us who live in the light be clear-headed, protected by the armor of faith and love, and wearing as our helmet the confidence of our salvation. We are not children of the night. We talk about how Jesus' coming will be like a thief in the night. A thief comes in the night, the night is dark. We are not to be in the night. We are children of light, not of the darkness. So we are not to be caught off guard. We are to live our lives expectantly for Christ's return. Paul has taught them as teaching us to live expecting the imminent return of the Lord 
He was reminding us that Christ could return at any moment, and therefore, we believers are always looking for his return. In other words, he did not have to tell them to be always looking for Christ. That's how we are supposed to live our lives as Christians. Having lived an expectant life, obedient to the Holy Spirit, following Christ as the example, confessing our sins in conviction and being restored in repentance, we participate in the glorious day of the new heavens and the new earths that we read about in Revelation 21. To remind us of where we are, Skip, if you can put up the end times chart here. Where we are in Revelation 22 is that great thing at the very end that says eternity. We have gone from the beginning of the 70th week, Daniel's 70th week, the beginning of the tribulation, the opening of the seals to the opening of the sixth seal and the rapture of those who are dead in Christ and those who are alive in Christ being caught up together. And then the wrath of God falls upon the land, leading to the seven trumpets and the seven bold judgments, the battle of Armageddon and the millennial reign that Frank spoke about over the course of the last several weeks. And then we enter that place of the new heavens and the new earth. The time of no more sorrow and no more tears. So Skip, if you can put up that picture. As I read Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and the servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. The angel said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. The Lord, the God of the Spirit of the prophets, sent his angels to show his servants the things that soon must take place. Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy in this book. The Bible tells us that this place is a place that Jesus is going to prepare for us that he tells us about in John 14. This is the new Eden. This is better than Eden. This is the tree of life that's described in Genesis 2 and 3. Its presence in the garden was the very reason that God expelled Adam and Eve, that they would not eat of the fruit and live eternally in sin. Now in the new heavens and the new earth, there are multiple trees, its fruit changing in season and its leaves sustaining the nations for the work that Christ has called us to, teach, to, to do. As we continue in Revelation twenty-two twelve, 12, Skip, you can put up the verses. 
Look, I am coming soon. This is Jesus speaking, bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes. They will be permitted to enter through the gates of this city and eat the tree, the fruit from the tree of life. This is reminiscent for me of Psalm 24, which states, Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god. And now we get a serious warning in Revelation 22, 18, and 19. Skip, you can put that up. And I solemnly declare to everyone who hears the words of prophecy written in this book, if anyone adds anything to what is written here, God will add to that person the plagues described in this book. And if anyone removes any of the words from this book of prophecy, God will remove that person's share in the tree of life and in the holy city that is described in this book. That's a pretty stern warning should cause us all to reflect. And as I reflected upon it, I was thinking, how does that apply? And so immediately I go to think, Mormonism? They've added a book. Jehovah's Witnesses? And the cults? But here's the scary thing that really laid upon my heart and The Lord woke me up at 4 a.m. this morning. And that is that too often we take this book and we'll read through sections and go, don't like that, rip it out. I don't like that, rip it out. I talked to Frank earlier. He said, are you going to rip out your Bible? And I said, this is my good Bible. (laughs) But we do that. We skip over wholesale sections of the word because we don't like them. And then I find that we often make up our own theology. We add to this book. Because where we are is where we want to stay. And in order for me to be okay, I'm adding to this book a new theology. The gospel of Jeff has just been added to this book. Because I'm the most important person to me. And I'm trying to make what I'm doing in my life okay. This warning here is for each one of us. It's easy. It was easy for me to look at this and go, well, the Mormons are in trouble. They've added a book. Can't add a book. That's why the Lord woke me up this morning and said, it's not about the Mormons, it's about you. Stop looking out there to justify in here. You know, we conclude this morning talking about 
Jesus coming back and being prepared. You know, this is why the Holy Spirit led us as elders and Frank as the senior pastor to go through the book of Revelation. This wasn't about an intellectual pursuit. This wasn't about, we didn't spend since September going through this just so that we had a greater knowledge. This was about preparing our hearts. This wasn't so that we could sit back and wait and see what happens. And I think many of the congregation have misinterpreted what's been shared from this pulpit. None of us are saying that Jesus is coming in September. We have not, as elders, tried to fix the date of Jesus' return. It is unscriptural, and it is wrong. But every one of the elders that I am proud to call my friends and my brothers are men who love the Lord Jesus Christ who love this congregation, I am blessed to call them my friends. We seek the Lord in prayer. And this isn't Frank going into some place and we follow him as yes men. We're not saying yes to Frank. We're saying yes to the Holy Spirit. We're saying yes to where he is leading us, which is a place of Deep following him. We're saying yes to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We're saying, yes, lead me where you would have me go. So we aren't here to make this about some personal agenda or crusade. We're here because we are called to be obedient to the Holy Spirit. We want that to be the example and that to be the reason why we stand before you on a Sunday or I sit with you in my small group on a Monday or out to lunch on a Tuesday. Our entire purpose is to seek Christ, is to glorify him. That's our work. That's our work as Christians. Not just the work of the people who stand up here on the pulpit. That's why we, you know, so desire that everybody be a part of a small community. Ethan came up and shared that testimony a couple of weeks ago about just how powerfully the Lord moves. When we come together, we are transparent. We seek him. We see him move in amazing ways. Our desire is that, my desire is my heart's prepared. And I can't tell you that I am. You know, I think we, Frank shared a while back. If I'm standing or probably kneeling and somebody is telling me 
that they will take my life or I need to renounce Christ. I can stand here and I can tell you all day long, yeah, I'm going to do that. I'm going to stand strong for Christ. That's what we're being prepared for. Are we ready to share our testimony in amazing and powerful and real ways when the risk is great? That's what we believe is coming, is a time when the risk will be even greater for us sharing our testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to be prepared, and we can only be prepared if we come together and allow the Spirit to work in a powerful way. So as the worship team comes up, let's close in prayer. Father God, we just come before you this morning. Lord, I just thank you, Lord, that you are a good, a gracious, and a loving God. And you being good and gracious and loving means that you share great truths with us. Father, I just ask that everything that was shared this morning, Father, that if it was of you, I just ask that it would find fertile soil, that it would grow. And Father, if there are things that were shared this morning that were not of you or not meant for this time for anybody, Lord, that they would just blow away as if never said. Father, we know that there is a great enemy that we come against. We know, Father, that our fight is not against flesh and blood, but is against the principalities of darkness. And Satan, we call you out by name. We know that your desire is is to destroy. Your desire is to divide. And we know how you work. But it is written that Jesus is the Lord. It is written that Jesus is the King. And it is written that Jesus is the victor. And we stand with our Lord of Lords, our King of Kings, and the victor of all give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.